the question is, how do we start with the end in mind? How do we start our lives? How do we start this moment with the end in mind? And I think it's a really good question. Obviously, I think someone was planning, right? It's the beginning of 2024. And as we begin this new, this new year, everyone's asking about resolutions. And I was on a run this morning, and I'm running, and I'm thinking, I think my resolution is already done. I think I already failed, <laughs> right? And so why? Why is that? Because my resolution was a short-term goal, and it wasn't with a long-term goal right? It was a short-term goal. I wanted to run a mile a day for a month. If you don't know anything, I'm a cross-country runner, and I used to be. And uh, I'm like, you know what? I haven't been running enough. I'm going to try to run one mile a day for a month. Well, we're, what, eight days in? It's already over. Like, I, I didn't do it a couple days. And, and you know what? I didn't even care that I didn't do it a couple days, right? That, that shows that it was a short-term goal, and it wasn't attached to any long-term goal. There wasn't like a marathon in my future that I was getting ready for, right? It was just this random short-term goal. And because it was a random short-term goal, it had no weight, it had no meaning. It was just a goal, right? But I guarantee if I was training for a marathon, it would have been different, right? I would have been more committed because I had a long-term goal that was kind of focusing my attention. And so when we look at, you know, short-term goals and resolutions, I'm not saying they're bad, right? I'm not saying it's like, don't do any short-term goals. But the reality is, like I said, if the short-term goal is not with a long-term goal, right, it's kind of meaningless. So what I want to ask you guys today, my, my question is, is what are you aiming for? What are you aiming for in your life, right? So my son Owen, he's seven years old. And some of you guys know this because some of you guys are in my life group and have been to my house. And you know that Owen just got a compound bow for Thanksgiving, Christmas, okay? And he's super excited. He's always asking, can I go in the back and shoot my bow? And I'm like, just not at your sister's. Um, and so he got this bow, right? And I am not an expert. I'm not Robin Hood. I'm not, I don't know about bows, okay? But when, you know, you're talking to a seven-year-old, you're always the expert. And so he's asking me questions about how can I do better at shooting my bow? How can I do these things, right? And so I don't know a lot, but I do know a couple things, right? I know that when you shoot a bow, you have to aim, right? Nobody, I don't think, nobody tells you, right, if they're a bow expert, they're like, hey, just pull it back and just, just let it go. Close your eyes. I don't know. Just let it go and see what happens. No one says that, right? Everyone would tell you, aim small, miss small. You guys have probably heard that, right? So that's the things I'm telling him. I, I don't know. Maybe it applies, right? But I'm trying. And so, but he's shooting with an aim. He's aiming at something, right? And the other day, he hit a bullseye. And, uh, just wait, just wait though. And, but he wasn't aiming at that bullseye. Okay. So, so he hits it and I'm like, great job, dude. What were you aiming for? And he goes, oh, I was aiming for that one over there. You know, it's four bullseyes. I'm aiming for this one. I hit a bullseye on this one. Don't tell anybody, right? That's what you were aiming for. But in our lives, right? The question today is what are we really aiming for in our life? What are we aiming for? What is the goal, the long-term goal of our life. Why are we here? Right? Why are we here? What are we aiming for? Um, so my wife, we got married uh, 12 years ago. She's my high school sweetheart. Only girl I ever dated. Um, that's where you guys can say, oh my gosh, she's awesome. Anyways, so 
So uh, 12 years, right? And when you get married, there's a lot of things that kind of you have to change and, and adjust. And one of those things I had to adjust was movie nights are no longer just whatever I want to watch, right? It's like a, it's, there's, a, there's an agreement there. There's a discussion. And, and we have to pick one that we both agree on. And Tessa knows I never agree on anything. I just go through iTunes and I just keep looking and looking and an hour goes by and Tessa's like, you're gonna pick one? And so I usually let Tessa just, you can pick, like you can pick. And so as most of you would, would probably similar in your relationships, right? She really likes those, that one category of movie. And no, it's not a chick flick. I wanted you to think it was that. It's actually the, the category where one guy just dominates everybody, right? He goes into a room, they're all armed with like AK-47s, and he's got like a pencil and, a, and like chewing gum, right? And then he leaves the room 10 seconds later, and they're all like on the ground. And you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. But she really likes those types of, mu- uh, of movies. So I'm very blessed to be able to take part in that also, because I like them too, um, but we were watching one of these movies called The Equalizer, and it was pretty good. I liked it. And um, so there's a part in this movie, the very first scene, I don't really understand why, but it was a very profound quote, right? So in the movie Equalizer, it starts, and there's just a quote on the screen. I thought it was amazing. So this is the first thing I'm going to kind of leave you with. It says, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. And I was like, dang, Equalizer, jeez, starting the movie with this, I'm excited now, right? But it's so profound, right? And as Christians, we don't have to go, man, what are we here for? Like, we already know the why, right? We already know the why. The why is to glorify God with our entire lives, right? And so if we know that, then it becomes a question of how do we do that? How do we make that our long-term goal for our lives and aim for that and hit it? Um. So in order to leave a legacy, we need a long-term goal, right? When that keeps us focused on what really matters. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be in Hebrews 11, and we're going to focus on two individuals that you know a lot about, but we're going to kind of turn your attention to maybe just a piece of their life that maybe we're not super um, acquainted with. So we're going to be in Hebrews 11, and we're going to focus on these individuals' long-term goals. What was their long-term goal, and were they able to achieve it? So first, we're going to be in Hebrews 11. If you don't have a Bible, it's fine. It'll be on the screen. Hebrews 11, 24 through 27. It says this. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He was looking to his long-term goal, which is Christ. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible, By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. So I just want to draw your attention really quick. Like I said, we all know Moses, right? It's a familiar story. We kind of have heard it over and over. What I want to look at today is what was Moses's goal, right? It says, by faith, Moses renounced his place of privilege in Pharaoh's family, choosing to identify himself with God's people. 
He knew that loss and suffering awaited him, yet he was strengthened by faith to make his life-shaping decision by esteeming Christ's riches above Egypt's. Moses' life goal was clear. He wasn't worried about the riches that the world had to offer. He was worried about the riches that God had to offer. And that's what he had his life, his life goal and his aim of his life was. But I think when we look at Moses, I think a lot of times we can just be kind of like, yeah, I would have done that too, right? Like, yeah, Egypt's bad. Moses, good, he left, right? And we, we kind of discount Moses' faith. But I think that's a huge mistake, right? When we look at Moses, I did a little bit of research because I wanted to kind of put it into perspective. So he was leaving, basically pharaohs were billionaires, okay? He was leaving a life of billions of dollars, ton of power. He was leaving all of that behind, right? And for us today, I was just kind of trying to put in this perspective, right? You're a Musk or you're a, uh, what's it, Bezo, right? You're a Bezo or a Musk child. And you're like, you know, this, all, this private plane's great, you know, but I'm going to just, I'm going to go serve on the mission field, right? That's kind of the, the, the essence of what Moses was doing. He was leaving everything the world had to offer for everything the world didn't have to offer, right? He was leaving all that stuff because it really didn't matter. His goal was Christ. Would you do that? Are we living for Christ's riches or the world's? And then if we read Philippians 3, right, we get another story of someone else, Paul, right? Philippians 3 tells us about Paul's life. It tells us about all his accolades, and he was so great in the world's eyes, and he was on the up and up. He was on the upper trajectory. His, his life was going to mean something, right, to everyone in the world. And then check out what happens. This is Philippians 3, 4 through 8. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is Paul speaking. Verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, this is the kicker. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain, I may gain Christ. Now listen, these, these first readers of this letter, when he said rubbish, they went, <gasps> Paul, that's, that's a bad word, right? Like Paul was amped up. He wasn't like, hey, I had it all from the world's perspective, but it wasn't very good. It was, it was okay, but, you know, I'm going to live for Christ. No, he says, I had it all from the world's perspective, and that garbage does not do anything for me anymore. I'm leaving all that trash, and I'm going after Christ. Is that what you're doing? Like, can you say, man, I'm, I'm leaving what the world has to offer. I'm going after Christ. So we see in Moses' life, we see in Paul's life, this, this aim at Christ. And that aim at Christ is focusing their attention day after day. Every year, they're focused on that. It's not just 2024, right? It's their entire lives are going in that direction. Because at the end of your life, knowing, no one is going to care about all the stuff you have. No one is. What impact did you have and what legacy did you leave? So I want to look at three layers of leaving a legacy today. I want to look at Individually, are you individually leaving a legacy? 
And then I want to look at family. Are you leaving a legacy for your family and in your family? And then thirdly, Dan did such a great job. I'm like, Dan, you're taking some of my firepower, right? But as a church, are we leaving a legacy? We're moving. It's awesome. We're going to leave a legacy where we're going next. So leaving a legacy, starting with individual, leaving a legacy always starts with yourself. And I think when I say that, people are like, man, that's selfish. No, it's just necessary, right? Leaving a legacy starts with yourself. I can't impact anybody if I'm not in the word, right? I can't impact anybody if I'm not worried about myself first, right? How many of you guys have been on the plane and you hear the little spiel, right? And they're, you're like, can we just do like a, when you get on a plane, has anyone not been on a plane? Raise your hand. And then if, if that's not the case, we just go, right? But every time you got to hear the same story, right? The same little, hello, passengers, and this, it's on this side, and you're, right? And you're like, okay, I've heard this a million times. Can we just fly already, right? But in that presentation, they say something very, um, very amazing for our application today, right? So the oxygen masks, right? If the oxygen masks come down, right, and you're like, okay, cool, I don't want that to happen. They're like, but if it does, right, if it does, what do you do? You put it on yourself first. Is that selfish? No, it's necessary. It's something that you have to do because if you're worried about your kid next to you, you won't get to them if you don't put yours on first, right? And it's the same with our lives. If we're so focused on everybody else and we're not focused on ourselves, our impact is going to be heavily negated, right? We're not going to have the same impact if we're just worried about everybody else. That's great. But you also have to worry about yourself first so that you can have that impact. And a lot of times I think parents kind of get in this, um, this state where they're like, you know, I just want to have an impact on my kids. I just want to have an impact on my kids. I just want to have an impact on my kids. And they forget themselves, right? So if their long-term goal is raising their kids with the knowledge of Christ, but they're neglecting their own walk, because they're trying to put it all into their kids, it's not going to work, right? And so what we do, what I thought of doing the other day, and I've kind of like, I am doing that a little bit. It's kind of funny. It's not mean. Um, so I just tell them to go clean up their room. If I need a little bit of quiet time and read my Bible, go clean up your room. It's always dirty, so it always applies, right? It's never like, my room's already clean. No, it's not. Go check it again, right? But I tell them, go clean up the room, because two things happen. Either they're back there cleaning up their room for a long period of time, which is great, right? They're going to clean up the room. Their room's going to be sparkling clean, and I'm going to do my devotions and read my Bible and pray. Or they're too scared to come out of their room because they know it's not clean, so they just stay back there and play. Both of those are good. I'd rather them clean, but they're both effective for what I'm trying to do, right? I'm trying to have a little bit of time to myself to read my Bible. So if they're back there and they're like, listen, we're not really cleaning up, but if we go out there, he's going to ask if it's clean and it's not. So we're just going to stay in our room and play. Because if I tell them to go play in their rooms, they don't do it. So go clean up your room works a little bit better, right? And so um, God's revealed will for you is that when you get up in the morning, you don't drift aimlessly through the day, letting mere circumstances alone dictate what you do, but that you aim at something that you focus on a certain kind of purpose. Because aimlessness is similar to lifelessness. So uh, I know most of you guys probably, you know, fall in this category where your phone every week tells you how much time you've spent on your phone. Every time it comes up, you're like, there's no way I spent that much time on my phone this week. And, but there it is, right? It's, it's there and it's telling you you spent three hours on your phone and you're like, I don't even understand how that's possible, but it happened. And every time it happens to me, I'm like, I, you know, I'm, I'm asking myself, 
do I spend that much time in the Word? Right? Like, I, because I get it, man. I, I'm, I've got three kids, and it's like, when do I spend time in the Word? Like, how do I get that deep dive into the Word that I'm desiring when I have three kids? And they're running around, and then my wife's going to work, and I'm on break, but I have three kids running around, and I'm like, okay. Um, but how do we do that? Well, just like our phone, it doesn't happen all at once, right? Like our phone, it says three hours. I guarantee you weren't sitting on a couch for three hours just like, right? That'd be crazy. But it's little parts of the day where you're like, five minutes here, 10 minutes here, and it all adds up, right? Can we do that with the word? Can we just be in the word every once in a while when we have a little, you know, a little bit of time, five minutes here, 10 minutes here? Can we be in the word? Can we focus ourselves on what really matters? Can you imagine if we had a Bible usage on our phone that popped up every week and you're like, dang it, man, I thought I had more than that, right? It'd be the opposite. You'd be like, I thought I spent three hours. You spent 20 minutes, right? <laughs> and it would, I think it would really focus us on what's really important. Because I, I know I, people say, you know, I don't have time for reading. I don't have time for prayer. I don't have, I have, I'm too busy. You're not too busy to be on your phone for three hours a day. So I think our focus just needs to shift. I ran to this illustration. It says, dead leaves in the backyard move around more than anything else. The wind blows this way and they go this way. The wind blows that way and they go that way. They tumble, they bounce, they skip, they press against the fence, but they have no aim whatsoever. They are full of motion, but empty of life. God did not create humans in his image to be aimless. That does not happen. He did not create us to be aimless, like lifeless leaves blown around the backyard of life. He created us to be purposeful and to have a focus and an aim for all of our days. Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that's our individual focus, right? Our individual aim in our life is to glorify God with all of our days, not to be aimless, not to just be having circumstances affect what we do in our lives, but realizing that our lives have to be aimed at Christ. And if that's our focus, circumstances won't affect that. So then moving on to our family, right? Moving on to our family, what does our family um, goal look like? So go with me to Hebrews 11, We're going to be in verses 8 through 13. Once again, it'll be on the screen if you don't have it. 8 through 13 says this, and then we'll jump down to 16 and 19. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And then moving down to verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, 
And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Okay, another man in the Bible where we're all like, yeah, Moses, we know that story, right? But when you look and you dive deeper into Moses' life and his story, right, we see that his focus was all on Christ, right? He had this amazing promise from God. God said, hey, you're going to have a, a huge family and you're going to impact all these people. And, and Moses is like, I mean, and Abraham is like, oh, great, that's awesome. When? Right? And then God finally does it. And they're rejoicing and they're happy. And then God's like, okay, now I want you to sacrifice that son that you was going to do all this through. And he's like, I don't understand how this, okay, let's do it. Would we do that? Like, this is a crazy story that we kind of just brush to the side and go, yeah, you know, he was going to sacrifice his son. And we don't really realize how amazing this story is. Abraham's focus was on the promises of God and his goal was God's glory, not his own. He was willing to sacrifice his own son, the very son that God promised him would lead to a great number of offering or offspring, sorry. Verse 19, Abraham believed that his, um, this amazing God who he was focused on could even raise his son from the dead. That was not out of the realm of possibility for Abraham. Right? He's like, I'm going to do it, God, because I know that if it's in your plan, you'll just raise him back up and we'll keep going. Abraham's focus leads generations to the Lord. Generations. His son was not his, but his son was God's. His son was God's son. Now, I try to have this mindset with my kids, right? Like my kid, when they're being really annoying or whatever, like they, this is God's kid. I need to treat them a certain way, Right? Before, um, before they're my kids, they are children of God. And my biggest prayer and aim for them and for my family's life is that they know and love God. Not that they like me, right? I don't need to be their friend, but I need to know that they, they know God and they love God and they're pursuing him in their lives. I pray every day for them. And crazy enough, this might sound crazy. I pray for their spouses since they've been like two years old. And I pray very specific prayer for their spouses. I just pray that their spouses would love them and love God. That's it. It's my only prayer for their spouses. Would it be great if we're boys? If, if I've got two girls. If they have husbands and we're boys, that'd be awesome. That'd be amazing. I would love that. But that's not my focus, right? That's not my focus. My focus is just that they love my daughters and they love God. And for my son, same. I just want someone that loves God and loves him and will push, pursue Christ with them, right? That's a hard prayer to pray. Uh, we were having a family group just down the hall a couple days ago, and we were just talking about it's crazy to pray for your kid's salvation, not because, I mean, obviously that's a great thing to pray for, but when you think about it, you're actually praying potentially that they could be on the mission field and never see them again, right? Or be in ministry, which is awesome, right? But, but they could be in ministry and, and not have a ton of money like the world wants you to have, right? And the world says, hey, uh, a legacy is built on money and what job you have and all these things that you can leave behind. And I'm praying for my kids just to love God. And I want that to be the legacy of our family and of their lives. Then another thing I wanted to say is just let your kids see you pray for them, with them, around them, right? Now, I don't do this every night. I wish I did. There's some nights where I'm like, just go to bed, right? But, 
hopefully more than often, right? I'm going back to their rooms and I'm putting my head on their head and I'm praying specifically for that kid that I'm with. Then I'm gonna go to the next room. I'm gonna pray specifically for that kid that I'm with. Doesn't happen every night, but I try, right? And they hear me verbalize prayers to God on their behalf. They're able to hear their dad who loves them pray for them. And then give your kids the opportunity to pray also, right? Like at lunch, we're always like, whose turn is it? And you know, it's always my turn. But I'm like, eventually it's your turn, right? And Millie, she's five. She'll be like, dear God, thank you, and amen. And I'm like, great, awesome, good job, right? But we're teaching her to pray. We're teaching her that the faith that we have, me and her mom have, does not pass on to her. It's not just like, hey, our faith is your faith, you're good. You have to have your own faith, and that's our our family legacy, right? That we're building believers of Christ up. Your long-term family goal will change generations. I'm gonna try to do this without crying. I've got three generations of my family in here. And so, give me a second if I do. So I have a great-grandfather who's no longer with us, but I can remember growing up and going to church and seeing my great-grandpa crying and weeping as he's worshiping. And crying and, and weeping over us as we have Christmas together and all these things, right? And it's amazing what impact you can have, right? I have this, I have a, I'm blessed, man. I've, I've grown up in a Christian home with generations of faith. Amazing, awesome. I would never say like, Hey, that's not a good testimony. That's a great testimony. That means your family did something amazing in your life. Maybe that's not your story. Maybe you're like, man, I'm the first person in my family to believe in Christ. Hallelujah. That's awesome. Now you can lead that generation, right? Your great grandkids could be saying the same thing about you. It just takes one choice. It takes one step to go, we're gonna change our whole family uh, legacy right now. It's gonna start with me. So I want to give you a couple crazy statistics and and kind of frame what families are today and what our family needs to look like. The average father spends only eight to 10 minutes a day with his children. Wait for it. This includes television and mealtimes. Yeah, these dads are bad, right? (laughs) That's not us, right? The average couple spends only four minutes of uninterrupted time together a day. Four minutes. I don't know about you guys, but that's not going to build a healthy relationship with your kids. That's not going to build a healthy relationship with your spouse. Four minutes, eight minutes, that's not enough. We have to do better than that. We have to be focused on the legacy that we're leaving for our kids. And if you're in here and you're like, man, I've already done all this and I failed or I succeeded or whatever. I'm, I'm past, you know, family. That's okay, right? Like you can still make a choice right now to change, right? You can, you can go this way and go, you know what? I'm gonna change and I'm gonna call all my family right now and I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk differently right now. Or maybe you're too young and you're in the front row and you're like, I'm 15 years old. I don't even know what, what are you talking about? Family, kids, what is all this? right? It's never too early to start planning. It's never too early to start planning the legacy that you want to leave for your family. And it's really going to start now. Um, I can remember like it was yesterday being in high school 
right? And thinking like, oh, family and all these things. And, and then fast forward and I'm 25 years old and I'm not 25 years old. Um, <laughs> you guys were supposed to be like, really? Dang. No, I'm 33. So, and I can remember like it was yesterday I was in high school and now I'm 33 years old with three kids and this is life, right? And I'm glad that I started thinking through like, I had examples of legacy in my family that I can look to and go, that's what I want too. But you can plan right now, even if you're not there yet. We're living in a culture that is increasingly more hostile to God's truth. And we need to equip our children to stand strong and create their own long-term goals for their life. This next part might uh, make you a little angry. Stay with me. It's not the church's sole responsibility or anyone else's to win your children for Christ and mentor them, mentor them spiritually. It's yours. The church can come alongside you. We can partner together. That's what we're going to do. But it's your responsibility to show your kids from Monday to Saturday, it's still real. We're in this. We love God. If it's just Sunday, it's going to be a little like, is this really what we desire? Or is this just something we do on the weekends to spend a couple hours and see friends? It's your responsibility responsibility to make it an everyday thing. The greatest impact I've seen personally from families is when they are intentional, deep, and pervasive in their discussion of the gospel. Intentional, deep, pervasive. It's happening all the time. It's not, we're going to church, let's talk a little bit about it. It's not like randomly, it's all the time. Because our kids are at school all the time, hearing a bunch of other things, right? And so it's our responsibility to combat that with the real objective truth of Scripture. Moving on to the church and leaving a legacy as a church and as bedrock. <clears throat> what is our church's long-term goal? Don't worry, it's always out in the lobby. It's to bring God to people and people to God. And this takes all of us a collection of individuals and families that are pushing for the same goal. And as we move locations, right, we're going to be bringing God to people and people to God in a new location. And this doesn't mean, I was thinking about this, I think a lot of times we think like, oh yeah, I know this other Christian that goes to a different church, and we're just going to be like, hey, have you tried Bedrock? And move them over, right? Like that's, not, that's great. That's not bad. I'm not going to be like, that's terrible. But that's not the goal. The goal is to see people really far from God come very near to God, right? That's the goal, not just church hop and we got other, yeah, I got friends that go to that church over there. Come over here. We need to find people that are far from God and bring them close to God. So we talk a lot about missions and missions is amazing. I have a sister in India right now and it, it's awesome. That's seeing people that maybe have never heard the name of Jesus and bringing them to a close connection and relationship with him. But I just ran across this statistic, and I just want to bring it to your attention. There are 200 million non-church people in America, making our nation one of the largest unchurched countries in the world. Author Justice Anderson has stated, the American church is in the midst of one of the largest mission fields in the world today. Only three other nations, China, India, and Indonesia, have more lost people. When you think about it in that perspective, the mission field is all around us, right? There's people all around us that don't know the love of Christ. 
that don't know the amazing power of God in their lives. And it's up to us to go tell them, to go reach them, to go find them and bring them in. You don't have to go very far. Go down the street, go to the door next to you. There's people that don't know about God. Who are you inviting? We're surrounded by friends that need the hope of the gospel. Where are you helping, right? Dan, Dan did such a great job of trying to encourage you guys. Man, if we're gonna be a church that's on fire for Christ and doing amazing things, we need all of you. It doesn't start with, oh, it's just me and Blake and Cody and AJ and there's some staff members involved and we're gonna go do amazing things for God. No, he's called each and every one of you. If you're here today, he wants you to do an amazing work for him. And so we need you to partner with us as we work towards that goal. As we strive for our long-term goal as a church, we need more help. Have you been back to Kids Rock? I have. Tara wants me in there every other week. No, not really. I've been back there. It's blowing up. Kids Rock is blowing up. Amen. That is amazing. We got kids back there learning about the truth of Scripture and the love that God has for them. But we need your help. This new location, what do we have, five Kids Rock rooms, six kids? We got a ton of Kids Rock rooms. We've got a ton of room for kids to come and learn about God. But we need people to be in there with them, to model it for them, for them to see people that love them, people that love God, and they can see what that looks like, right? And we need people to teach them about the, the, the love that God has for them. And so would you partner with us and get in a Kids Rock room? If kids isn't your thing, it's okay. There's other ways to get involved, right? Don't, I'm not a kids person, so I'm just gonna, you know, I, I'll just, I won't do anything. You're like, no, there's other things you can do, okay? Go have an impact on kids, or you could greet, or you could be on the worship team, or you could be in youth, or so many other things. You could help with facilities. I know we're gonna have a parking team at the new church. There's ways to get involved that don't take a lot of, they don't require like a, a, a deep theological degree, right? Like you don't, I'm not, I'm not qualified. Just tell people where to park, and say hi, right? Like, it's not that hard. But we need all of you if we're going to have a huge impact. Um, so I know Dan, and, and we've been talking about it, we're moving next week. It's awesome. Or not next week. We're moving after next week. So yeah, next week, right? And so exciting. So exciting. Uh, if you guys haven't been over there, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. God's going to work in a mighty way. And we're going to be downtown with just tons of people that don't know the love of God. And so we need to be ready for that amazing change. I've been in churches with no vision. That's not bedrock. We have a vision to bring God to people and people to God. We have a vision for bringing people lost close and to do it in a huge way. And what's crazy, I don't know if you guys know this. I asked Blake if I could talk specifics. He said no. So I'm just going to give you a broad, yeah, it was all Blake's fault. I'm going to give you a broad uh, just overview of what's going on at bedrock. Did you guys know that we are one of the fastest growing churches in the state of Florida right now? Yeah, that's, yeah, give it up. But that's not, that's not us, right? That's God moving. God's doing something amazing at Bedrock, something that honestly, like I couldn't even really see until I was in Bedrock experiencing what's going on here. God's doing something amazing, right? And it's something to be super excited about. But I don't believe he's going to stop. Like he's not, oh, you got a new location and just fill that one up and then we're good. Like we've been doubling every year. It's not, I don't think it's gonna stop. I think God's got an amazing plan for Bedrock. And I think in a couple of years, we're gonna look back and go, man, he did have, <laughs> this is crazy. God's, God's working in a huge way. And so I just wanna leave you with a last illustration. I was kind of looking into 
and I didn't know, so maybe I'm dumb, but I didn't know the difference between fool's gold and gold. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're in the same boat of non-educated person. But, um, right, like fool's gold, gold, they look very similar to an untrained eye, and yet they are very different both in uh, how much it's worth and even like people wanting them, right? So gold is valued around $2,000 an ounce. Pretty good. Uh, the other one, fool's gold, is essentially worthless. You just throw it away, right? So I think you probably should know which one's which because you might be throwing away $2,000 an ounce. But they look so similar. They look incredibly similar. There's two main differences. Fool's gold will flake and disintegrate. It also changes color based on the light. Isn't that so good? I read that and I was like, man, is is this written for my sermon? What an amazing picture of the world's riches, right? As Christians, we want to seek gold, but we don't want to seek fool's gold. And oftentimes they look very similar, right? Fool's gold is like, man, it looks cool. And then you hit it with a hammer and it's gone. And you're like, oh, what? Or, or it looks really good in the cave. It's like, man, this thing's so shiny. You bring it in the light and you're like, it's a rock, right? Like this is, t- I don't want this, right? And so, but gold doesn't change. You can hit it, might dent it a little bit. It's not going anywhere, right? You bring it in the light, you're like, it's even better, right? And so for us as believers, as we saw in Moses and Paul and Abraham, right? The world has a lot to offer. It does. And it's all worthless if you don't have Christ, right? And so for us as Christians, we, we're seeking after the gold that life has to offer, which is the Lord. And seeking after that and not seeking after the fool's gold and all these things that the world promises will bring us happiness, promises will bring us legacy. And then we get to the end of our lives and we're like, man, I got a Bentley in the garage and no one cares. I'm dying, and I didn't leave any legacy, I just have a car. So for us as Christians, can we seek the gold? Don't waste your life seeking after fool's gold. Don't waste your life seeking after fool's gold. So as the, um, the band comes back up and we send you guys out, um, we, we wanted to give you, so I've been a, a part of a lot of sermons, right, and you're like, that was a great sermon. And then at lunch, you're like, I don't know what he talked about, <laughs> right? And so who knows if it's a great sermon, but I want you to know what I talked about, right? And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna give you a little piece of gold to remember the sermon. It's gold paper. Um, <laughs> what do you think this budget is? Come on. <laughs> and so we're gonna give you a little piece of gold paper. What I want you to do on that piece of gold paper is right now, think through your personal goal your long-term goal for your life and write it down. I don't want you to get to lunch and go, yeah, I think he told us about a long-term goal and um, yeah, I should get on that. And then next week you're like, I still haven't wrote, wrote it down. Write it now, right? What, what do you want your life to, what do you want at the end of your life? What are you aiming for? What do you want your life to, the legacy of your life to be? And then once you get done with that, I want you to write down your family, If you don't have kids, that's okay. If you have kids that are 50, that's okay. What do you want your family legacy to be starting today? Planning for the future, what do you want your family's legacy to be? And then I pray that you'll partner with Bedrock in our legacy, in our long-term plan of what we want to be doing 
that you'll partner with us as we strive for our long-term goal of reaching this city, this state, and the world with the gospel, bringing God to people and people to God. We need a ton of on-mission people to help get us there. God's on the move, but we need your help. Can you imagine if all of us were living on mission? Can you imagine if all of our aim was Christ and we didn't let the world and the circumstances of the world distract us from that? And all of us in this room were seeking Christ together. What would that look like for 2024? But I don't care about 2024. I want 2020, I don't even know, 2070. Like I want, what is the legacy of bedrock 50 years from now? What is the legacy of Bedrock 25 years from now? What can we tell our kids we did at Bedrock? What can we tell our kids we did in our family? We had this one time where we were thinking about what do we want our family legacy to be? And we chose Christ. And then individually, what do you want your legacy personally to be? Do you want to seek after fool's gold or do you want to seek after the real gold that is in Christ? I I love you guys. I'm so excited for what God's going to do at Bedrock. And I'm, I'm just overwhelmed by being here for eight months and moving from a different church and, and just being able to see everything that God's doing here. I am beyond excited, beyond uh, happy about being here and being with all of you. And I feel super humbled to be able to speak to you because you guys are amazing. And Lord, I, I, and I just want to encourage you guys as we move and as you live your life, live on mission. Aim for something amazing and go hit it. Let me pray for us. Lord, we are excited about the future. But Lord, I pray that God, we would focus on you. God, it's so easy to get distracted, to stumble on things of the world and and to begin to seek them and not you. Lord, I pray that the encouragement that we read about Moses and Abraham and Paul will give us the encouragement we need to go, you know what? I want God. Lord, we love you. Um, God, we pray that you continue to grow us closer to yourself and grow our families closer to yourself. And God, we just, we know that you're working and we we are so glad that we get to be used uh, in this mighty way. And Lord, I pray for um, this note card. God, I pray that we would tape it on our mirror at the house and we'd be able to look at it every single day and go, man, am I living on mission? Am I, am I living for my aim? Am I, living, am I living for legacy? Or am I just living in the circumstance of life? So God, please encourage us, strengthen us, lead us. God, we are, we're so thankful for your love. Amen.